Aksa rode her donkey up the hill to the city of Hebroth. Seeing her in the distance, Caleb, old and gray, but still stout and strong, saw her riding her donkey, rising the hill to his field outside of the city. Caleb walked to her, wiping sweat from his brow, still carrying his hoe in his arm. His veins were popping out of his arms due to the heavy iron tool he carried, the same one he stole from the giants who previously ruled the land. She approached. Her donkey was slow and deliberate, and she was covered in the clothes of a princess. She wore a veil, as was her custom riding through the land. Covered in purple and red scarlet, she approached her father. Dropping the hoe, he exclaimed, My daughter, what a pleasure! What brings you home? What can I do for you? She gently but gracefully dismounted her donkey and took three steps towards her father, pulling back her veil, revealing a most beautiful woman. She was a beauty to behold, clearly the most beautiful of all the women in the land, for only she would men be willing to fight and die for. She bent down to her knees. She replied, Do me a special favor, father. Since you have given me land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. Caleb stepped ever closer to his daughter. He held her hands and allowed her to stand, looking at his daughter face to face, eye to eye. There was not a blink in his eye, nor in hers. The strong, courageous, and patient man was now a loving father. Caleb looked upon his daughter with compassion and love. My daughter, my daughter, all that I own is yours. My cup and my portion overflows. Water you can have. I shall give you a double portion. I cannot just give my daughter just what she asked for, but I give her double. Not only do I grant you the lower, but also the upper springs as well. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. This is the Message to King podcast. Episode 39, Judges Othniel. The book of Judges starts with warfare, almost like an extension of the book of Joshua. Here we go. Judges 1. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. It's important to see here Judah is being chosen to go up first. It gets easier to see God's destiny for the tribe of Judah. They are chosen repeatedly to go up to give battle first. King David will be from the tribe of Judah, and later kings of Judah, and Jerusalem will be at its center, and Jesus will, of course, come from the tribe of Judah. Judges 1-4 When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. It was here they found Adonai Bezek and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Then Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. 
Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. All right, so earlier in Joshua, the enemy was Adonai Jezek. Now we have Adonai Bezek, and it's pretty gnarly that they cut off his big toes, and, and that prevented him from planting in the ground and rapid movement, and his big fingers, which help a person hold a sword and yield a plow. Next, Judah attacks and captures Jerusalem. It says they put it to the sword and burn it. Take note here, they didn't occupy it. Jerusalem is a natural fortress and an incredible place to defend. Any destruction of the city without a future occupation would only lead to another colonization of the city by a different power, which is what happened. What happened was Judah and Benjamin failed to occupy Jerusalem, which is why they continually had to attack it and burn it. They should have put a settlement there, but they didn't. So what happens later is the Jebusites come in and rebuild the city, and they occupy it until the time of King David. Next it says that Judah went against Hebron and defeated the three giants. Now there's some debate whether this happened earlier in the time of Joshua or during this campaign. But regardless, Caleb and the tribe of Judah have now reclaimed the burial place of the patriarchs. Next they advanced to Kiriath Sefer. Judges 1.12 And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, so Caleb gave his daughter Aksa in, to him in marriage. Alright, so isn't this cool? No promotion as a result of family or nepotism or inheritance. No, Caleb would only give his daughter to the bravest in all the land, which was Othniel. Isn't that cool? I mean, think about this. If you had a daughter, who would you grant her to in marriage? The wealthiest person in the land? The kindest? The one with the most mercy? Or the bravest in all the land? But go further. He gave his daughter to the one who would risk his life for her. Apostle Paul spoke about marriage in a letter to the church of Ephesus. He said, women submit to your husbands. Well, this has to be hard for some, but what does it say about husbands? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. Wow. That's even harder. In fact, that's nearly impossible. But in Christ, all things are possible. Othniel showed his love for his wife by risking his life and offering his life for his wife. Not a bad start to a marriage. And I have to believe their marriage was established on some really good roots. Now, this will not be where Othniel falls off the biblical accounts. We will hear from him again soon. Next, we get to this account, which we'll derive the beginning of the podcast. Judges 1.14 One day, when Aksa came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And when she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What can I do for you? She replied, Do me a special favor. Since you have given me land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. And I really want to park here because brave, aggressive, petitioning women fill the Bible. And here is one of them stuck at the beginning of the book of Judges. Here are a few of these other women. Hannah's a good one. And what about those daughters of Sephola had? 
Hey, what about Rahab? She aggressively took charge of her family and risked her life. By the way, she's alive during this time, and she will soon have a son named Boaz, who just happens to run into Ruth soon. There are so many examples. We will learn of Ruth's aggressive act, and then again, one of those, the best examples of the entire Bible is Hadassah or Esther, who risked her own life to save her people by advancing to the throne of King Xerxes. So let's get back to that verse in the, the letter to the church of Ephesus. Women are to, to submit to their husbands. Well, why would God put such aggressive women in the Bible if they are to play such a submissive and passive role in society? Well, that's not exactly what Paul meant. He's implying they are to understand order in society and marriage, but in no way was Apostle Paul telling women to be quiet. Some of the greatest heroes in the Bible are women. So I asked myself, why is Axa approaching her father to ask for land and not her husband? I believe because it is a picture. We are going to have a lot of them very soon with Ehud. Symbolism is going to get pretty thick for a time and then fade back down for a while. Axa's name means ankle ornament. She's a beautiful prize to Caleb and Othniel, but even greater, she's God's beautiful ornament. She's a beautiful woman who understands God's order, but also fatherhood in that she was a daughter of a king. It's a picture of a woman petitioning her father for her inheritance, just like the daughters of Zephalahat. Whoever said women didn't have rights back then. It was through their husbands, but they yielded rights. It was when things got out of order, when the family unit crumbles, when women become devaluated. Soon we'll hear about an account of a Levite who owns a concubine, which completely is a picture of the depravity and the breakdown of the family unit. Here is Axa approaching her father with tact and honor and grace, and she achieves her inheritance, which will last for generations. It's a picture of the relationship of women to their heavenly father. It's a picture of what God desires of his daughters, to approach his throne of grace with tact and wisdom and order, requesting of God himself a relationship which invites an inheritance, which is an eternal place in his kingdom. Paul would write this verse, Hebrews 4.16, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Following the account of Axa, Judges 1 provides a detailed account of the failures of certain tribes to conquer their lands. There are some notable successes. The primary one was the capture of Bethel by the tribe of Joseph. Once Bethel was taken, the priesthood and ark are taken there and is called the house of God. Eliezer and Phinehas will be the high priest in the city. The next major event is an encounter, Judges 2. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. Then the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites. The people wept out loud, and they called that place Bochum. 
There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. All right, so things are not looking very good for Israel. There's that foreboding. You know something bad's going to happen. But there's a delay until the death of Joshua and the elders. Judges 2, 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of their land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Now we arrive at that cycle of sin, which begins at this point. When I consider the time of the judges, I consider it a book of generations. It's almost as if a good generation arises, followed by a bad generation. It's not that simple, but it just seems that way at times. So going forward, let's talk about the government of Israel. Israel is a theocracy, but without a central government. It's more like a tribal theocracy. They have their religion and their priestly class. They have the law, but they have 12 tribes who rule themselves. The priests are in Shiloh, and other Levites are in other cities. And if the people are faithful, the government actually works. It's kind of like this. When they are faithful, God provides order, a heavenly police system. And when they are faithful, economics and blessings come easy, and the harvest works just as normal in this agrarian society. The central structure of government wasn't necessarily needed because God provided it. In addition, when they cried out to return to God, God provides them a warrior for them to lead their armies. But when they are not faithful, there was no infrastructure left because God was the infrastructure. Economics fails, depravity reigns, and order is a thing of the past, and collapse occurs in every part of society. Now it begins. Judges 8. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. When they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Heraz, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gahash, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them up out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtaroths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed them and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors." following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me. So the cycle of sin begins. Judges 3.7 The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. 
The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishatham, king of Aram Naharam, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. This is the first of the oppressions of Israel. There will be plenty of them. Aram is the region of modern Syria, not too far from Dan, by the way, that growing principality from last episode. The origination of evil or the location of principalities will be important to remember. But when Israel cried out to the Lord, he brought them a judge and a deliverer. Judges 3.9 But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishatham, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for forty years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. All right, so we remember Othniel from the beginning account. It's interesting how we got so little from his time as a judge. We know the first judge in Israel is from Judah, which is cool because he's the only judge from Judah. And, of course, the last judge to judge the earth will be Jesus, who is also from the tribe of Judah. The first judge was from Judah and the last judge. The first and last judge is from Judah, the first and the last. Also, it's good to capture this outrageous phrase, which we'll hear a lot more of. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Isn't that powerful? I mean, that's awesome. The, the Spirit of God came upon a person. I mean, the Spirit of God coming upon a person is just an incredible thought. It will later say of Gideon that God put him on like a glove. I mean, isn't that awesome? How would that look like today? I mean, seriously, consider that if the Spirit came upon a person and God put them on like a glove. We do have little of Othniel's battle campaign, most likely because the writer is Samuel, the prophet and priest. He's not as interested in strategy as Joshua, the courageous warrior, who most likely wrote the book of Joshua. Samuel's more interested in the heart and supernatural, and would far rather emphasize that awesome line, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. What a warrior he must have been because his name means Lion of God. Othniel's name means Lion of God. Imagine lining up in a battle against Othniel, the Lion of God. Where did this name come from? Was Othniel's faithfulness and calling where he earned his name? Or was it God himself who bestowed it on him? Or was it because he had a secret weapon that gave him power? I once heard someone say that the most powerful people on the planet are the children and women who quietly pray in their prayer closets and the many places where they are not seen. We have no idea how this occurred. And when and where Othniel defeated the Arameans. But I can picture his wife because of what we know about her. Imagine this with me. Othniel, 50 miles to the north of Hebron, arrayed in battle lines opposing the enemies in battle. The shofars have not been blown and both armies are about to engage. And 50 miles south in the town of Hebron, Aksa, with the women of her city, were on their knees crying out to God, praying for their men to be protected and that the Lord would deliver them from evil. And at that moment, just as Othniel's men advanced and crashed into the ranks of the Arameans, the Spirit of God 
as an answer to Axa's prayer, fell upon Othniel and his men, enabling them to destroy the enemies of Israel. The defeat was so complete, no one challenged Othniel, the Lion of God in Israel, for 40 years. To conclude this episode, I want to address the female audience. God sees you as a beautiful ornament of his love and adoration, and he is setting you up and has invited you to find him and approach him. It looks different for every person, but just as Aksa approached her father, you can approach your heavenly father with order, gentleness, and petition. Simply go to him with any and every request and approach the throne of grace with confidence so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next few weeks as we intertwine chronologically three storylines into one. The subjugation through King Eglon of Israel and the deliverance through Judge Ehud. The love story of the Book of Ruth and the sodomy of Benjamin. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question. Or if you want to chat, email me at messagetokings at gmail.com. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.